And right towards the end of the session, I said to him, well, we can't stay here. We can't live in survival mode. We can't stay in being harmless. What happens? Like, if you're not going to be harmless, then what will you be? And he said, dangerous. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. Coming at you from Divine, Texas. We're moving offices right now, so I'm in between offices not in between jobs, in between offices. And uh, I've got a very special guest all the way from Cape Town, South Africa, Eric Kruger. He's the founder of Modern Breed. They do training for high-performance teams. He's a best-selling author, international keynote speaker, and facilitator. He's got his master's degree in executive coaching. Did not know that was a thing, so I'm excited (laughs) to hear more about that. And he's an expert in team leadership and development. Some of his clients include Anglo America, PepsiCo, and Young Presidents Organization. Eric, welcome to the show, brother. So good to be with you. Thank you. This is fantastic. So I've got a very uh, we're, we're going to get right into it, right? In the, Go in for the it. current in the current marketplace, and I'm guessing you have U.S. based clients. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. So over here, you know the. The economy's tightening a little bit. People's budgets are tightening. Maybe even their teams are getting smaller. What are you recommending for your clients that are are dealing with, okay, I have a smaller team now and I have to do more with less? Yeah. Look, um, you know, the biggest challenge I think the teams face in general is that they aren't very intentional about how they go about team development. So even with a small team, you can accomplish a lot if you develop the team in the right kind of way. So whenever we work with teams, we always do a bit of an assessment up front. And one of the main questions we ask is, does your team have dedicated time for learning and development? And you would expect, you know, because every leader you speak to, they're going to tell you that it's really important for them to bring out the best in their team. And so you would think that they prioritize learning and development for their team. But then when you actually speak to them, it turns out that about 70% of teams don't have dedicated learning and development time. Instead, what we do is we time block team building and team development. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen this over and over as well, that team building becomes something we step into and step out of. It's like a, it's a weekend thing or it's a day right. thing or it's an afternoon thing. Instead of it being this ongoing process that just gradually develops the team over time. And so my call to action for leaders all the time is irrespective of the size of your team, irrespective of what's happening in the world around you, keep developing your team all the time. And in fact, what I see so often is that when the pressure builds and things get crazy, we decrease the effort we put into team team development and team cohesion. When it should be the total opposite that as pressure increases and chaos increases, we should also increase the amount of development and team building that we do. Mm -hmm. So when when it comes to development and team building, you know, those those are definitely buzzwords, right? Mm -hmm. But 
my question is in in your eyes what is the development piece and what is the team building piece so coming from a sales background yeah. the team building piece was always the sales games that contributed to sales product knowledge and training right but they were games so they were fun and you know we created a sense of camaraderie and even broke the team into different teams to compete right mm -hmm. and so that was a big part of the team building you know and then another part was weekly you know, team nights is what we would call them, where we'd go out, we'd break bread together, and we'd go, you know, like Dave and Buster's, and we'd go play games and stuff like that and do all that. And, of course, that demographic was 20 to 30 years old, you know, so it was easier to do that type of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then the development piece was bringing in speakers, you know, bringing in um, subject matter experts, as well as, you know, obviously the internal development that we always do, but in, in your eyes, what is that development and team building? Yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed it, which is that uh, team building is just the, the term that we've become so accustomed to over time. And I think for many people, it, it means different things. Initially, when I actually started my my, my business, I, I wanted to hinge on this idea of team building all the time, because to me, team building is that we are building into the team. We are building in practices and behaviors and mindsets into the team that's going to help them to progress and move forward. But over time, I realized actually this positioning wasn't helping me because when you go and Google team building, all you'll pretty much find for the first page or two of Google is going to be different activities to do, like escape rooms and weekends away and whatever. And so there's a, a very clear line to draw between, or actually, let me phrase it differently, I think team building is broken out into two different activities and you you uh, nailed it on the head, which is that one part of it is bond building, that we need to have people who are close together. Research has shown us that people who have friends at work, for example, uh, stay longer at work, they're more productive at work. So we need to have those close relationships at work and that's the bond building part of it. But then we also need the team development part of it, which is mostly the part that's lacking. Because team development can't be sporadic. That's the part that we need to have continuously happening in the background. And for most teams, unfortunately, that's just, from what I've seen, it's missing because we don't have structure around it. We don't have goals around it. When you look at most big organizations, what do they, they have a, a personal development plan, a PDP. But how many of them have team development plans? Very, very few. And I've made a point of speaking to as many large organizations as I can about this. I'm like, okay, so you guys have all your, your people on a specific track, a personal development plan is going to take them from point A to point B. Um, so you value having a plan of action for moving someone from where they are to where they could be. Cool. So tell me about your team development plan, because surely it's the same thing. Surely you value moving your team from where they are to where they could be as well. And you have a plan for that. And it turns out we don't. So I think just to what you were saying, both components need to be present for us to be building the team holistically. Oh, I love that. And I can see how in my years of business, I've been guilty of doing the same thing where yeah. it was developing the individuals, but not developing them as a team. The team was more the fun stuff. You know, there was yeah. no nothing to develop cohesion or develop uh, best practices or, or culture in that sense. And so I can see how easy it could be to, to forget that piece of it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't blame leaders for this happening because 
we aren't trained on how to build teams. It's something that for most leaders, you kind of fall into. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, especially, you start your business because you love the thing that you're doing. And then at some point you become a leader and now you have to figure out this people side of things. Same thing if you're into organization, at some point you, you start somewhere, you work your way up, eventually you become responsible for people in a team and you don't know what to do in that situation. So I don't blame people for not knowing. Um, there's a reason why people like you know, us exist. We, we uh, become obsessed with the subject matter for them to tap into while they do what they do, we get to do what we do. Um, one thing I do, I do wanna say though is, I think where, where some leaders think they are doing the team development part, but they aren't, is that they have these weekly meetings and in these weekly meetings, they have a self-development component in it. You know, so it's like your weekly hands-in, whatever, or uh, a Monday morning meeting, for example, that's maybe the more, most popular one. And yeah. in that session, you'll have like a self-development component to it. And that feels like team building because the team is present for the exercise and for the content. But what's actually happening is that you are doing personal development at scale and not team development. And it's important to be clear about those two different things. That personal development at scale means that you are bettering the individuals. And of course, they spill over into the team. But team development requires us to do specific exercises related to collaboration collaboration and cohesion and performance within the team and in those dynamics. So it's totally different. And I think very often we feel like we're doing it because we're doing the sort of development at scale thing, but it's not team development. No, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. It's like the difference between, between doing an, an escape room and then, and then doing a training on mindset, you know? Uh, like you said, mm. one's developing the individual, the other's developing the team. And yeah. uh, maybe escape room isn't the best example because that's more of a fun activity. But, you know, you can kind of recreate that, I feel like, within customer scenarios inside of a team and, you know, maybe role play how they would solve those uh, customer situations, you know, and mm. problem solve mm. together. Um, and mm. then at the end of it, talk about, okay, identify each of the team members' strengths and and why they're good at what they do because of how they handled that situation, you know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Then you bring the two together. So that's great. Okay. So you've written or contributed to 11 books now. Most, uh, most of our guests have done like one or two is writing a passion yeah. of yours. Yeah. I, I think, um, sharing ideas is a passion of mine and, and sometimes what I like what I like about the book format is just it creates the, the best container for an idea. And so, especially during the pandemic, you know, I had a few things that I wanted to get out and I could have written it as a few different blog posts. I could have written it as a series of threads, but I just thought, well, packaging that as a book and giving you that container just gives it a bit more presence and also makes it more digestible for people who are interested in the idea. So I can't say, like, I'm supposed to be writing a, a sales data for tomorrow, like one of those video sales data for uh, a new service we're running. And I'm like dreading sitting down writing this thing, you know, and I've, I've kind of become quite used to dictating onto Otter and then pumping that into ChatGPT, seeing what comes out and then mm -hmm. editing that down. So I think there's a, a bit of laziness maybe that's developed. 
But oh yeah. <laughs> what I, yeah, what I like about the, yeah, what I like about books is just that um, it packages ideas well. You know, it makes it consumable uh, in a way that very few other formats do. So let's let's. I wanted to walk through a few of them because I was curious about them, and then I think my listeners would benefit a lot from these just based on the descriptions and the titles. So acting non verba. I'm guessing this yeah. is one of your older writings. That is my very first book. Oh, it is. Okay, Gary. Yeah. Playbook for creating, achieving, and performing at your highest level. Now tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, so I need to give you a bit of a backstory to that because okay. in, in 2007, I actually graduated as a physical therapist. And I spent the next few years working in hospitals in different intensive care units, um, mainly, and then orthopedic units. And then eventually working my way into my own practice, being head of rehab for a step-down facility. But while I was doing this, I just realized that this wasn't really for me. I didn't want to be a physiotherapist. I wanted to do something else with my life. It happened that at that time, I met a friend who was very much into the online business space. Mm -hmm. So he introduced me to directory websites and like all the easy ways to try and make money as quickly as possible online. I tried all of it. I failed miserably because... I would register like three different domains in a week, try and get a WordPress site up, uh, realize that it's not working as quickly as I'd like it to, so I'd move on to something else. And this pattern just perpetuated itself for like 30 or 40 different domains until eventually one day I was just like kind of over it and I said, I'm just going to do something that I find personally very fulfilling. And what that became was a site called Better Man, which was just this very simple premise. I'm going to share my journey of trying to be a better man every single day. And if you want to, you can come along on this journey. Um, and I never intended for it to be anything. I just wanted to back. So this is like 2015-ish. Um, I started a podcast. I interviewed successful men. I wrote a blog post. I did videos. And eventually, I started this daily newsletter. And over the course of about a year, it grew to about 18,000 members. And so we had 18,000 members on the, the daily email, 18,000 people in a Facebook group. Uh, the guy said to us, listen, we want to do events. So I was like, well, I don't know how to do events, but as an entrepreneur, you know, you always like, you say yes, yeah, then you figure it out. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then we started hosting events with, you know, amazing brands like Ferrari and um, Mont Blanc and all these, all these cool brands. Uh, they said, can you do coaching? I was like, well, Sure, you know, I'll do coaching. And I, I found all the coaching books that I could, read all of them, made my own models, um, eventually my master's in business and executive coaching. And what then happened as a culmination of all of this, so I ran Betterman for about two or three years. Um, it doesn't exist anymore today. But the culmination of it was that over the span of that time, I wrote somewhere around three to 400 emails, daily emails, and my sign off for that was always acton on verba. And acton on verba means actions, not words. That was kind of the whole intention behind the community is we want to live a life of action and not just talk about things. Mm -hmm. And so the book then became the curation of the 180 best emails that I wrote during that time and became my first published book. That's fantastic. It's incredibly interesting as well because it's not written in a normal book format, I would assume no. because of the curation of those emails. 
And so, um, very interesting. Okay, a- another one that kind of caught my eye. Obviously, the title was a, is a great title. It's just called Dangerous. Yeah, and uh, I love that title. Be be the threat to your threats. What does this one cover? Because it sounds very like aggressive. <laughs> aggressive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So dangerous is the last book that I wrote. Um, okay. Yeah, man, it's an idea that uh, took hold of me, and I couldn't get rid of it until I I put it into the world into in book format. So I, I had a client when I was doing lots of one-on-one coaching at some point today, I mainly work with teams, but when I just finished my, my masters, I was doing lots of one-on-one coaching and I was working with this one executive today and he was extremely successful. Like, it, like you can't look at this guy and feel sorry for him in any way. He had a high paying job, a good, healthy relationship with his family. He was in great shape. His team loved and adored him. Everything in his life was just going really well. But we were sitting in this coaching session and like something was just off. You know, he like there was something missing. There was like this, this spark, this fire that was missing in him. And we spoke about it for a while. And we kind of said, you know, if I if we look at where he's at, you know, physically he's doing well, but mentally he's actually stuck in survival mode. And survival mode has three different characteristics. The one is that when you're in survival mode, you become very reactive to the world that's around you. So you go through your day just putting out fires. You're not thinking about tomorrow. You're not trying to be proactive. You're just trying to get to the end of the day. Second thing that happens is that you operate from a place of fear, frustration, and anxiety. And when you operate from fear, frustration, and anxiety, two cognitive distortions occur. One is the distortion of severity, and the other is the distortion of probability. So the distortion of probability says that when things go wrong, uh, things are more likely to go wrong than not. And the distortion of severity says that when they go wrong, it's going to be catastrophic. And so what happens is that you are busy all day long, busy, busy, busy with your hands. Uh, You aren't thinking about tomorrow. You're just trying to get through the day. And eventually, when your hands go idle at night, your mind fires up. And you start thinking about all these challenges in your life. And you think, well, things are likely to go wrong. And when they go wrong, it's going to be catastrophic. And so, of course, that creates more fear, more frustration, more anxiety. And the next morning you wake up. And, of course, fueled by this, you become reactive again during the day. And so the third part of being in survival mode is that the things we do in survival mode keep us in survival mode. And I saw all of this in him. All of it was present. And we left that session. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what I saw in him. You know, because it was such a weird picture to see this guy who was succeeding and doing well, but yet, like, there's just something that was missing. And I thought about it for maybe about two weeks in between our sessions. And eventually, one day, it just kind of hit me that when I looked at him, if you asked me to describe what I was seeing, I would say that he has become harmless, that he's lost his bite that the thing that made him formidable before is gone. And so we got onto our next session and I said to him, listen, um, I want to run something by you because this is what you're here for, is for me to be a mirror for you. So let me tell you what I'm seeing. I'm seeing someone who's become very harmless in their lives. And he, he took it in for a second and he went, that's exactly it. That's how I feel. I feel like I've been defanged, I've been declawed and I... I I just don't feel like I have that fire. And so we spoke about it for a while. 
we unpacked what it meant, where he was, and right towards the end of the session, I said to him, well, we can't stay here. We can't live in survival mode. We can't stay in being harmless. What happens? Like, if you're not going to be harmless, then what will you be? And he said, dangerous. And the moment he said that, there was just something that clicked for me. It was just like, of course, like, of course you want to be dangerous. Of course you want to be formidable in your life. Of course you want to be able to take on the threats that are in front of you and be the threat to that threat. And so coming out of that session, you know, I realized that I've been harmless, that actually like I've been holding back. I haven't been being, showing my best. I haven't been, uh, I haven't, I wasn't my most formidable self, my most assertive self, my most confident self. And so I went on this quest to discover, well, what does it then mean for us to be dangerous? Because obviously this doesn't mean go and be harmful towards others or uh, be a threat to other people. It meant as I impacted it, that there's this pattern of thinking, feeling and acting that we all have. These are the three human capacities and how we structure that pattern depends or, or dictates how we show up in this world. And ultimately, for us to acknowledge that there are threats around us all the time. It sounds like a very pessimistic thing to say, but it's not, it's just reality. That there are threats to your relationships, there are threats to your career, there are threats uh, to you being the best leader that you can be, there are threats to your team. And ultimately, how you deal with those threats determine where you end up. And so you are either gonna be harmless, you're gonna be defenseless against these threats, and you will be the victim or you will recalibrate how you think, feel, and act so that you are empowered to overcome these threats. So you can be a threat to the threat. And if you can do that, you can be a danger to the danger and you get to be dangerous. So that was the, the premise of the book. Man, I think so many people, leaders and men in general can relate to that where you wake up every For morning sure. and you're like, okay, you look at the calendar and you're like, man, I don't have a break today. You know, I just got to, <laughs> I just got to react to the whole day. Basically, I don't mm. have time for planning. And that's why the morning routine is so incredibly important or the evening before routine. Right. And, um, that way you're not reacting to the whole day. You're prepared for it and you execute. Um, yeah, but it does, it, it, it creates this cycle that can never stop until you take that time to, like you said, recalibrate. So I think that's, you know, another, the, yeah, sorry to interrupt you. The, the pull of survival mode is incredibly strong, incredibly strong. And it's in a way, um, the book was supposed to come out just pre-pandemic and then pandemic hits and obviously it gets delayed a bit. And what I'm grateful for in that the delay happened is that I got to experience survival mode for myself a few times during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I also got to really just see what it what it's like for people going through it. Because as in writing the book, you know, I had some clients where I'd observed this pattern and I was studying it and I was doing some research on it. But now I got to see it in a, at a much larger scale. And I got to realize that when you are in survival mode and you are deep into survival mode, it takes a hell of a lot to pull you out of it. It's not just wake up in the morning and say a few things and you feel better. Like it doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. But there, there is a way to break the cycle, but you first need to understand that you've been caught up in the cycle. And one of survival mode's best tricks is that it's invisible. It just becomes part of your life. You don't realize that you are just becoming more and more mediocre 
that you're just playing at a less and lesser level, you just it just becomes your life. You don't you don't see it. Like this yeah. client of mine was a perfect example. High functioning, high performing, couldn't see that he was stuck in survival mode. So that's one of its best tricks is its invincibility, uh, invisibility, um, and that we don't see it. And, and also that it just drives us deeper and deeper. The, th the things we do in it uh, keeps us in it. You know, uh, there's a show we had here. I, I, we've seen many such shows, but uh, mm -hmm. my reference is a, a local show where it's a chef that goes to restaurants that are underperforming. I guess Gordon Ramsay's shows would also be like falling into the same category. You, you, they go to a restaurant that's in survival mode and they're there because of something like COVID. So something big happened and it put them in survival mode. And what I loved about the show is that when you understand that survival mode has a certain pattern and that the things we do in survival mode uh, keeps us in survival mode, then you'll start seeing it everywhere. And in this show, I just saw it so well. So what would happen, and this is for true for all business owners, is something big happened. COVID happened to this business. Because of that, less people come into the business. Less people into the business means less money back into the business. Less money into the business means we go, well, maybe we should cut down on our advertising. Less advertising means less people come into the business. Less people come into the business, less money back into the business. Less money back into the business, we go, well, maybe we should cut some of our staff. You know, we don't have the capacity to employ everyone. So we cut our staff. Uh, less people on the floor means people have a bad experience. They come in, but they have a bad experience because service is slow. Um, those people don't come back. They tell their friends don't come back. So that means less money into the business. Less money into the business means we go, maybe we should cut on some of the quality of our food, like find a different supplier. And people come to the business. They have a bad experience. They don't like the food. They don't come back. They tell their friends don't go back and less money into the business. And this cycle just perpetuates and perpetuates and perpetuates until one day you can go, we need to break the cycle. We need to do something that's going to take us out of survival mode and get us back to a level of thriving. And that's what you go through in the book, basically, how to come back from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the book, the book is really about how do we how do we cultivate this pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting, and what are the the different ways in which we often get defeated in those different uh, aspects of our lives. Yeah, I can I can see it. And what I what I like that you said the most is that it happens incrementally. We all expect it to happen all at once. You know, it's almost yeah. a, a form of depression in a sense. You know, because yeah. you're just you're being defeated a little bit at a time, very slowly over time, and then all of a sudden, you if you come out of it, or you have someone shake you, or you hire uh, a coach like your client did, that gives you that um, I guess defining moment where it's like, hey, you have a choice here; <laughs> you can go one mm. way or the other. Mm. So the last yeah. three years, you've written you've written leadership manuals. I'm curious because you're. It, it seems like you're writing a new one every year. What what changes year to year? Is, is the, I guess the human dynamic changing so the leadership approaches change or, you know, basically this is what you're focused on now, you know, and so mm -hmm. I would imagine year to year some of the approaches and things like that are changing. Yeah, um, the leadership manual originated from me wanting to serve my clients in a better way during the pandemic. So I, like you said, I've, I've written three of them. Um, the first one was kind of like a, a, 
I want to call it like a love letter, but it was just, you know, I was so deeply empathetic with my clients. I, during COVID, I felt more integrated into my clients' businesses than ever before. And it, it felt like we were all just fighting the same fight. And I was just right there alongside them. And they, my business was doing better than ever during that time. And I wanted to find a way to add more value to them because I really just wanted to, like, I, I don't know, that's why I want to call it a love letter. Like, I, I just really wanted to find a way to, to, to serve them in a, in a different way. And so that first leadership manual was, how do we just deal with what's going on? How do we get through it together? And then it was so well received that I decided to write the next one the next year. And we were coming out of it. We were, you know, there was some acceleration. So it was all about how do we start, you know, and it was also a combination of so many things, NFTs and crypto, uh, crypto was big and like blockchain stuff. And like, it just felt like there were so many changes happening. How do we balance the exploration of new technologies and new ideas with running the business of today? And then uh, the third one that came out, uh, which was this year, what was that one focused on? I think we focused more on, it was the team aspect of things, is how do we just start cultivating better teams as we start moving forward and into the future? They aren't very trends-based, to be honest. You know, if you're talking about like what changes year to year, the first one, I, I included a lot of trends and I wanted to kind of have a, a manual that is part guide and part looking to the future. And then I was like, actually, yeah, yeah, the playbook, that was it, now I remember. Uh, we created the playbook for, for teams and leaders. Um, the, the last one, I didn't include any trends because I was like, actually, it's more just about what I'm observing in my client's space and what do I think they need the most in this, in this specific moment in time. Um, and so, yeah, that was the evolution of the manuals. What was also quite cool is that uh, one of the big banks in SA came on as a sponsor for the manual uh, for the last two, the, the Art of Recalibration and uh, the playbook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love the, uh, mm. the range too. I think it's important to recognize, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, you've had uh, a robust career and you can kind of see the the evolution of your range in that in the books and everything. So it's pretty cool. So you mm, have a podcast you, called uh, Expansive. Yes. Um, and it's co-hosted with John. Is it John Sinai? Yes. Yes. John Sinai. And you're. Okay, John Sonic. In your latest episode, y'all talk about personal budgeting, the lack of awareness. Can you kind of walk us through some of the takeaways from that episode? I was listening to it and I got a kick out of it. Because yeah. it was like looking <laughs> in a mirror, except audibly, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the on the podcast, we, you know, the idea is just how do we live a more expansive life? And we kind of cross across um, uh, business and our personal lives. And often, you know, it's just a reflection of what are we going through in that moment. And so a recent awareness for me has just been that I don't know my numbers. You know, when, when the Shark Tank guys go up on, on Shark Tank, you know, they always get grilled about their businesses. And one inevitable question that comes at some point is, what are your numbers? You know, tell us about your sales in your, like, past two years. Tell us about your churn. Tell us about your... Uh, CAC, like all those sort of numbers. And like, it's almost mind blowing to me that you know this is coming and you're not prepared for it. <laughs> and then I thought, 
actually, like, if you put me on the spot today and you asked me, what are your numbers? I'd be terrible at answering that question in my personal life. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you where all my money goes. And what I've recently just realized is that there's a lot of money that's leaving my account and I don't know what's happening with it. And so I wanted to be a lot more aware, you know, and I think that is the, it's always the challenge for all of us is that we want to be as intentional as possible with the way that we live our lives, the way that we cultivate relationships, the way that we spend our money, the way that we build our businesses. That's the, the constant challenge. And it's so easy to get caught up in being on autopilot. And so I just realized how long I've been operating on autopilot with my, my, my finances, letting it go wherever it needs to go. Instead of saying, you know, I want to allocate money specifically to this and specific, like know my numbers and make sure that I'm putting enough money away. So yeah, I just had this intense moment of realization that I need to be more intentional with my finances. And since then, I'm happy to report that uh, it's been going very well. Like I have this app that I'm, I'm looking through every single day that categorizes all my transactions. And it's just been refreshing to like log in and see, okay, I know what's happening. I know where my money is going. I can see the category breakdown. And it feels like this is kind of the first step for me um, towards just being more rounded in I guess as a business person as well, because maybe if you ask me about my business, I'll have some good top line numbers for you. I, I still don't think I'll be as as good in the in the details, but I feel like that's something that really is needed. You know, you need to be or know the numbers um, in your personal life and in your in your business life if you want to be rounded and, and intentional in those areas. One hundred percent. How about you? you know, Do you feel like you know the numbers? <laughs> yes. I know I'm very well right now. Okay. <laughs> it's been, uh, you know, if I look at my 14 years in business, this has probably been my, you know, probably second or third lowest year in business. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which I'm fine with because last year I cut my expenses down big time personally. And so I had to know my numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the influences um, in the, on the business end for me is uh, Ryan Stuman. And uh, he's got a video on the 21 rules of money. And so mm. one of the things that we try to do, you know, and, and now I do it with my clients before I did it with my sales teams, but we try to educate them at an entry level when they come into the business on, you know, money, taxes and business. Right. And the reason that we're doing that is because most of the time or and a lot of times for my clients, too, when they come into the business, they're they're being paid to ninety nine for the first time. You know, they're being paid as a contractor for the first time. So now they got to handle their own expenses, their own taxes, all that stuff. And yeah. I'm a big proponent of developing your people um, along the way to do life well. Even if you can even develop them in, in ways that aren't going to benefit the company directly. You know, how is them being better at their taxes other than their, you know, their general um, life being better, you know, what you want for your people mm-hmm. so they, they show up to work better. Um, that's a, I think that's a big thing that we skip over a lot of times. It's just developing our, our people. It, and it's just like you just yeah. said, you had this realization, right. And you started using this app, you know? And so I always encourage my clients to, because they are, they, they come from my mastermind groups, which they're typically developing themselves in those groups. And so what's happening is there's a separation between their team and then themselves because they're developing, you know? And so mm. it's like, why just develop yourself when you can take all that 
education and knowledge and, and training and tools and bring it back to your team and then system yeah. systemize it, make it intentional. You know, I think that's what you were talking about a lot in the beginning was doing things intentionally versus reactively, you know, and now this is all tying together. Right. And, um, you, you do it within your business, your business and your team. You know, if you're developing them mm. reactively, which is like, oh crap, we're, we're not able to provide this product because we don't have certain training. Well, you got to do the same thing with the team building the development and then the, the sales, um, sales training, product knowledge, all those things, it's got to be intentional and you've got to be ahead of the curve, you know? Mm. And so mm. I think that's kind of a, a synopsis in a sense of this episode is just being in, intentional about team building, about your self-development, about your budget. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, sorry, no, uh, go for it. I, I, I missed you. They both say, <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, in, intention, I think is, a, is, a, is a huge piece of this. And that's what I love about yeah, podcast sure. episodes like these is because they convict us. And, uh, you know, somebody listening to this right now is like, man, I'm not, intentionally developing my team or doing in team building so that they work better together, you know? And so mm. uh, it's exciting. So with what, with everything that you're doing right now, writing, speaking and consulting, what's next for you? What are you kind of leaning into? Cause I, I'm assuming there's not a lot of money in the books. The books are more, like you said, love letters, authority, and they create the conversation for speaking and consulting. And so, um, what are you kind of leaning into right now that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, two, two things come to mind. One is I'm, I'm back to writing a daily email. I, I've missed it over the years and it's always been a very integral part for me of my own learning process, uh, but also just a great way of connecting with people, connecting with an audience. And so I recently restarted a daily email. Uh, this one is called The Daily Leader. And of course, as you can imagine, it's all about leadership, sharing tools, strategies, and frameworks for how we can become more intentional leaders. And actually, that's exactly the tagline for the, the daily email as well, is uh, the ultimate resource for intentional leaders. So that's one thing that I'm very excited about. Uh, it's, I've already received incredible feedback from it. I remember when I wrote the, the daily one for, for men, at some point, I had more than a thousand testimonials in my inbox because I, I always marked wow. them when they came in, you know, from guys. And, and I remember that there were some days where being able to look at that inbox and, and those tags and those thousand emails, it just it, it inspired you to keep going. And so I've already received some good early feedback from, from people on the, the mailer. So I feel like I'm heading in the, in the right direction with it. Uh, so that's one part. And then the second part is... I'm refining my model more and more for, for team development. And uh, we've launched a team incubator program because actually I love what you, what you said here is that uh, we end up developing our teams reactively, you know, and actually that's, that's so true. When I think of most of the, the teams that I end up dealing with is like, we've, we've hit crisis, like this thing isn't working. Can we do a workshop about it? And I've started changing that model to say, yes, we can do the workshop, but what you actually need is the accountability afterwards to make sure that, that the stuff we speak about and the stuff we, we develop and, and talk about in the session gets implemented. And so we've been doing team sprints where we then focus on 
for five weeks, we debrief with the team every single week and we make sure that that behavior gets ingrained into how the team operates. Um, but I've gone a step further now and I've created this team incubator program where I've looked at what is the 80-20 of teamwork? What are the 20% of things that's gonna give us 80% of the results? And we've built out four sessions that if your team, and actually I kind of want to relate back to what you said as well, about the leader, you know, going through this like intense self-development and they develop all these mental models, but the team, they don't have it. And mm -hmm. if you want a successful team, what you need is shared mental models in that team. We need a shared language in that team. So you are missing out if you aren't creating those shared mental models in the team. So what we try and do with the team incubator program is over four sessions, give you and your team the same language and understanding of what it means to be a great team member, team player, and what it looks like to collaborate uh, in the best way possible. And once we have those fundamentals in place, we then move over into sort of a monthly coaching program with our teams. But even if you just do the team incubator for the four sessions, it's immensely valuable for your team because it lays the groundwork for what it means to play off the same playbook or, or build off the same blueprint as a team. If if I want to learn about the the incubation uh, product, well, first of all, I would I would say what a lot of leaders don't understand is when you know if I'm a leader and somebody offers me leadership training immediately, most leaders go to defensive, right? Where it's just like, hey, I'm a good leader. I don't need leadership training or, you know, I lead my team well. They don't need team building training, whatever the case is. But what what happens too often, and the whole reason I have a job, right, is my my whole job is to take the sales ability, the sales structure, and um, some of the, the program nuances out of that leader's head and put it into a sales program mm. that other people can operate on you know so i imagine that's a lot of what you're doing is taking all right the existing culture the existing leadership structure and the existing um i guess best practices and then marrying them with these models that you've put together over the years that are proven Right. Mm. And, and, mm. and what that does, is it gives the team something to operate on versus just whatever the leader says, you know, and when you give that sure. team something yeah. to operate on, well, now the leader is free to work more on the business instead of managing people. Right. And so if, if one of our listeners or somebody that sees this content, one is interested in that, where's the best place for them to go to? Easiest is just to Google my name, Eric Kruger, and you'll find all the different uh, websites and socials, uh, but ericrooker.com <laughs> or modernbreed.com, easiest. Fantastic. Okay, last couple of questions. Um, legacy. What is mm. it? What does legacy mean to you? And what legacy do you want to leave behind? That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> you mean you, weren't, you didn't have it written down? <laughs> <laughs> I... I'm still refining my relationship with that word because I think we over-index on legacy. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to create something now that endures over time. But if I think of most people that I've 
ever known that have passed. Um, and I look at the people around me, I feel like mostly you'll, you'll maybe have impact for like the people that you knew in this lifetime. And then when they all gone, your legacy is gone with it. Mm-hmm. And does it really matter at the end of the day? So I, I don't know about legacy. I don't know about what I want to leave in the world after I'm done. I know that the impact I want to make while I'm here is to be of as much, as much use as I can to the people around me, uh, to be kind, to be good, uh, to be the best at what I do. And that's really all I want, you know, is like, can I make the most of what I have here today? Um, and the rest must just take care of itself. So more it's of a, a it, don't you think it's a very loaded word? Yeah. Yeah. It it absolutely mm. is. Um, and that's why I ask it, you know, because I mm. I feel like at the end of the, you know, now we've opened up some things, you know, you've talked about your business and everything. And at the end of the podcast, you know, I like to kind of wrap it all up into what your work is a mm. resource for the world while you're here. Mm. and uh, i think that's that's admirable you know Mm. um a lot of legacy can be wrapped up in ego and worried about yeah the finality of death and you can no longer have that impact at least not at the level that you're having it now you know so Mm. um for me you know when i think of legacy for me it's kind of changing the direction of my family line you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where we become more values based than survival based, you know, more, uh, in, Perfect, yeah. uh, more, uh, intentional versus reactive in life, you know, cause what you're talking about when, when you were talking about being reactive every day, that's probably how 90% of the world lives their life, you know, mm. and the conversation we're having today about being intentional about it, I think can help so many people if they just become cognizant of the fact that they're not. And and when you went through that, that feeling and what the day feels like and, you know, waking up and just immediately reacting to the day, I feel like I related to it because it happens to me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get in that funk and I feel like so many other men relate to that. And I think, uh, as long as you're having conversations like that, you are going to be a resource to the world for sure. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you, you coming on the show, brother. I love the conversation. Thank you. I love the resources that are available to everyone, uh, whether it be through your books or reaching out to you directly in your services. So um, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get building. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Be sure to execute on everything that you just heard and let's get building. Before we sign off, we'd like to invite you to join our Brickyard community. Head on over to jointhebrickyard.com. Again, that's jointhebrickyard.com or click the link in the description to find out more.